The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 13. Hear the word of the Lord. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Are you excited about this one? This is a tough one, right? You know, last week we were in Psalm 8, and Psalm 8 says, you know, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. You set the stars in their place and the moon in their place. You know, when you think of what, are, what, is, it, what is mankind, that you're aware of him, you're mindful of him, that you care for him, you've crowned him with glory and honor. Like, Psalm 8's really fun, Right? Because God's majestic, yeah, okay, yeah, he's majestic, and he cares for us, and he's mindful of us, and that's really beautiful. Um, but I was talking to a friend this week, and he said, you know, Brad, a lot of times, I really struggle to believe that God's majestic at all. Like, I, I struggle to care about it. I'm, like, really busy. i got a lot going on in my life. And I, I was like, I know. You know, that's part of the process of us um, wrestling and hearing God's word and thinking about it is God's developing our hearts. He's moving our hearts, but but sometimes, even when we're reading Psalm 8, it's like, man, even that is difficult to really hold in our heads, like that God's actually majestic. You know, there are spiritual highs in life, and there are spiritual lows in life. And so Psalm 8, I would say, if you're able to read Psalm 8, and you're like, yeah, man, I'm 100% there, I get it, you're in a really good place, okay? But Psalm 13 is also a very common experience that we, ex that we each go through, maybe more often than we'd like, but 100%, we all go through the reality of what David is saying here. How long, Lord, will you forget me and hide your face from me? And why won't you answer me? And where are you? And you've said all these promises, and I'm struggling to believe that you are who you say you are because suffering's real. Suffering makes its way into our lives at a very early age. What do we do with suffering? You know, there are big sufferings and little sufferings, right? You know, there are big suffering. You know, we're all going to face death. We're all going to face some kind of sickness and illness. Like, those are big things. Or maybe something in your family, something's happened and it has a lasting effect and it changes things. Those are big. But there are little sufferings as well. Like, in the small things, in the big things. And last week, I had a chance to go spend a few days with our high school students at RYM, Reformed Youth Ministries. And I had to go to Panama City Beach, you know, I'm just doing my part for the church. And went to Panama City and walked around the beach and watched them play volleyball. And I got to hang out with them. And it was really fun getting time with our students. I'm so I'm grateful for each of them, you know, those of you who are here. Uh, it, was, it was really meaningful to me to get to kind of be in your element and, and have a good time. But I want to tell you about on my way to get to the paradise in many ways that is Panama City. And I don't blame the airlines for this. Like, this is not a, I'm not bashing the airlines. I'm telling you what my experience was. I drove to the airport to get on my airplane. I think it was a three or four o'clock departure. And then I get there, and it's fine. Like, it's busy. Well, a lot of people are flying places. Drop my bag off. We're all good. And then it's delayed an hour, and then two hours, and then four hours. And then at nine o'clock, this poor lady had to, you know, representing the airline had to come up and say, I'm sorry, the flight's been canceled. And 
some people were so upset, and, I, and, and then I'm standing there, and this one guy and I were talking, and I go, so let me get this straight. They don't want us to fly because there's thunder and lightning, and it's dangerous, and we're not thankful that they're not just sending us up in the air anyway? Like, let's just wait till tomorrow. We'll get to fly tomorrow versus maybe get struck by lightning. Like, let's just, you know, here we are. So the next morning I get up. I get there early. I get, get, in the pl- get ready for the plane. It's delayed a little bit. I finally get on the flight, and then we land in Panama City, and we're on the tarmac for 45 minutes. The poor captain comes over the, the intercom and says, I'm sorry. We're really lo- we don't have any staff right now. They're, they're trying to get somebody there. And I'm like, man. Little sufferings, right? It's a daily thing. It's a small thing that those pilots and those crew and the, the people who are working for the airline have to go through. But like things that should work smoothly for them are not working smoothly for them. And then they have very demanding customers on top of that, right? And um, that's a little suffering. No matter what you do, you're going to encounter suffering. Charles Spurgeon, who's one of my favorite pastors historically from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon regularly spoke about struggling with anxiety and depression and illness and criticisms and ridicule. So did John Calvin and Martin Luther. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know who any of those people are and I don't care. Well, what about this? Dwayne Johnson said this. I found that with depression, one of the most important things you can realize is that you're not alone. You're not the first to go through it and you're not going to be the last to go through it. Or Lady Gaga, she said this, I've struggled for a long time being both public and not public about my mental health issues and my mental illness. But I truly believe that secrets keep you sick. That is true. Secrets keep you sick. Is Christianity honest enough to be able to face reality when it's really tough? Yes, because secrets keep you sick. God wants us to be able to name the difficult things. Now, Don't get all discouraged. Remember Psalm 8 from last week? That's true. But the reality is, is that even in a church of our size right here, there are people who are suffering in very big, deep ways. Do the scriptures have something honest to say to them? Yes, because secrets keep you sick. And the scriptures allow us to face reality because the gospel's that big, because the resurrection is that significant, because no matter where you are in your life journey, the power that this is how the story ends that one day Jesus is going to make all things new, that is true for you. And it is real for you. And it's accessible for you. And so this morning, what I want us to think about is just two ideas. The conflicted heart and the confident heart. The conflicted heart and the confident heart. Now, don't lose me here. You don't have one or the other. Unfortunately, you, you get both. You're going to go through a process of having a conflicted heart and then a confident heart. And you actually see David go through the same thing, Right? In the first verses, he's very, very sad. He's in a very dark place. And then, as he remembers who God is, as the Spirit increases his faith, as he begins to remember this is who God says he is, even though everything around me is saying it's not true, I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You're going to experience, if you're being honest, in your spiritual journey, a conflicted heart, and a confident heart. And until Jesus comes back, until he restores all things, you're going to carry the conflicted heart with you. But the promise is that one day we'll have in fullness the confident heart. So let's think about that together. What do you do with the conflicted heart? What do you do when you encounter suffering? Here's some of the things I tell myself, and I'm ashamed to say I've even said to other people in the midst of their suffering, okay? Things like this. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. 
or it could be worse, or you'll get over it, or how about this one, better you than me, right? We've th- we thought those things, maybe we've said those things, you know, and it's very insensitive when someone's in the midst of suffering, whether it's something they've brought on themselves or something that has happened to them to say, hey, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Listen, what David's doing here is he's pouring out his heart to God and he's not seeking information. He's pouring out his experience before God because he has a conflicted heart that says, God, I know you say you're good, but this is awful. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Have you ever felt forgotten? Has anyone ever forgotten you and you know that they just totally forgot you? David feels forgotten by God. How long, Lord, will you forget me? Hear those words. David, it's like David saying, I'm praying and my prayers are pinging off the heavens because you are nowhere to be found. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? He continues, how long will you hide your face from me? Man, that's a powerful image. God, how long will you hide your face from me? Just the other day, Jamie and I are sitting there talking, and my beloved golden retriever comes in the room, and this is what he does. I'll sit in this chair, Jamie will sit on the couch, he gets right up on the table and puts his head right in between me and Jamie, so I can no longer see her face, because he needs her, and he can't have her paying attention to me. And so he just stands there and he looks at her and I'll kind of do this and he'll like, and he just kind of moves around. He needs to be seen. Do you think you are seen by God? Do you think he has hidden his face from you? Have you experienced as if God has hidden his face from you? David experienced that. He experienced, God, you've forgotten me. You've hidden your face from me. Where are you? Lightning doesn't fall from the heavens and strike David down. David gets to pour out what he's really experiencing before God because God's grace is big enough to handle it. God can take it. How long will you hide your face from me? Verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Listen to how he feels. How long do I have to wrestle with my thoughts? Maybe you don't struggle with this. I, I actually, I struggle with this almost every night. If I lay in bed, and my wife goes to bed early, so if I go to bed early, or even if I stay up a little bit later, if I lay in bed and I'm not listening to an audible book or something, I will just sit there and work and think and then pray and then work and think. Like, I just kind of, for an hour at least, I have to get so distracted that I can stop and just like accidentally fall asleep. And it's pretty effective. Like, it takes me about five minutes that way. Like, I can immediately go to sleep. But we wrestle with our thoughts. What thoughts are you wrestling with? David's wrestling with this. Okay, God's forgotten me. He's hidden his face from me. And how long must I just go in that circle of living with a conflicted heart? You've forgotten me. You don't see me. I'm struggling. Where is God? I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. He's just wrestling with his thoughts. Day after day, he says, sorrow in my heart. Man, this is rough. The only one or thing he sees thriving in the world is comes in the next verse. How long will my enemy triumph over me? The only person that David sees actually triumphing is the very one who wants to destroy him, his enemy. David is struggling. 
Verses 3 and 4, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. A question to think about. Do you ever honestly communicate with God about your deepest fears and your deepest struggles and the things that you're really just wrestling with? Why don't you? I think there's a couple reasons why we don't, or at least I've experienced a couple reasons. One is, is that maybe God doesn't care. Well, remember Psalm 8 from last week? That he's mindful of us, that he cares for us. I can choose to believe what my heart is telling me is true, or I can choose to believe what God has said is true in his word. And in Psalm 8, God makes it very clear. There's no confusion about it. He is mindful of you. He cares for you. Jeremiah 31 says, the heart's deceitful above all things. I can trust the narrative of my heart, or I can trust his word. Maybe he doesn't care. The word pushes up hard against that. Here's another option. Maybe it's not appropriate, appropriate to communicate to God this way. Like maybe I'm not allowed to express that I'm struggling to believe that he's actually who he says he is. Well, David does it. It's right here in the scriptures. God, are you going to forget me forever? Are you going to hide your face from me forever? I'm wrestling with my thoughts. Day after day I have sorrow. Where are you? David is so honest with with God about where he is in his heart. And why is God interested in that? Because God wants us to love him with our whole heart, our whole mind, all of our strength, all of who we are. He doesn't want us to filter it out. He wants to come to him with all of who we are so that we can experience his grace and the power of the gospel in all of who we are. Secrets are not something we keep hidden and quiet. Secrets make us ill. They destroy and God wants us to come to him and to bring even our struggles because he loves us. You know, one of the things, I heard someone say this one time, and I've like adopted it as my own. But you know how someone, they'll say to you, you know, you'll do something nice for them. They'll say, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Well, I don't know who said this, but I heard them, and I've, I've, I emulate it because I think it's really a good way of sort of reflecting God's love. I just say, you're worth the trouble. No, I, I, let me help you. You're worth, it, it is inconvenient. You're worth the trouble. It is kind of difficult for me to do it. You're worth it. Like, I actually want to sacrifice for you and serve you. Like, you're worth the trouble. God looks down upon us in our dark moments of struggle and says, you're worth it. That's why I sent my son into the world. We read earlier from 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son into the world so that we could live through him. God wants us to come to him even with our conflicted mind, because he has grace that's even powerful enough in our conflicted mind. Verses 1 and 2, David calls out to God, senses his distance. He asks for clarity, he senses God hiding his face. He needs protection, he senses God's apathy. What is he to do? It's interesting. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, which I'm going to read this to you, what David's doing is he's doing the exact thing Jesus encourages us to do in Matthew chapter 7, to seek, to find, to knock. Verse 7 of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake. 
If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying in those words, if you want to know the summary of everything you read in the scriptures, here it is. Love others as I've loved you. Where are you going to find the power to love others as God has loved you? It cannot be just drawn from up within yourself. It can only be reflected. Only if you have experienced God being gracious to you can you be gracious to other people. If you're struggling, not, if you're, like if you're struggling with bitterness, we read about this in Ephesians earlier, if you're struggling with bitterness, I want to encourage you to just stop and say, why do I, like is God bitter at me? Do I actually think he's completely forgiven me? Because when you begin to believe that, bitterness will lose its attraction. Because you'll understand there's only death behind bitterness. It makes the bitter bitter. God offers something more. He offers healing and resurrection and renewal. God offers us his grace. And so, then we come to verse 5. David says, and it's like a complete switch, and this is not spiritual schizophrenia. This is the evidence of a developing, confident heart. He goes from a conflicted heart, and he morphs into this confident heart because he remembers who God is. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. How do we begin to live out this idea of having a confident heart? How do we do it? Well, one, let me just give you three ideas. We're almost done. This is a good short sermon day, right? Three ideas. One is to actually consider, like right now as you're sitting here, I mean, you, like I told you, it's a short sermon, right? So you can actually take a minute and do this with me, okay? I want you to actually think about where you are with Jesus right now. Where are you in your relationship with God right now? Do you believe, do you hear what David says here in verse 5? I trust in your unfailing love. Do you actually think you're the object of a God whose love can be described this way? Hesed. Unfailing. A love not dependent on your ability to be faithful. A love not dependent on your ability to quote-unquote get it. A love that is unfailing because he is love. He has sent his son into the world so that you can find life in him. Are you struggling to find life? Are you finding your camp and mostly in the beginning of this Psalm 13 in your experience right now? God's inviting you into a relationship where his grace can begin to pound its way into your heart so that you can experience life. God wants life for you. This is why he sent his son into the world. Consider your relationship with Jesus. Please do that. It's really all I have for you. All the things we do at Grace, it boils down to this. Where are you with Jesus? So first, your relationship with God. Secondly, can you be honest with yourself? Can you really be honest? Can you be honest with God about where you really are? Can you be vulnerable with God? I mean, David's being so vulnerable with God at this moment. Maybe, even though you're a Christian, or even if you're not, but let's just say you are, maybe you're thinking, I am struggling to believe if I even think God is looking at me, if his face is even upon me. I'm trying to decide if I actually think he has anything for me at all. Join the club. That's exactly where David is. God, have you forgotten me? Have you hidden your face from me? I want to ask you, I want to encourage you to believe that God's grace is big enough for you wherever you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you are in your spiritual struggle. 
But he has a love that's unfailing. It's okay. He's very patient and kind and slow to anger and abounding in love. God is compassionate. So where are you with God in your relationship? Are you being honest? Can you acknowledge chaos that's real in your life and cling to his grace? And then lastly, third, do you understand how important it is for you to exist in the context of community? You know, that's why so much effort went into trying to get this church built back up. It's why we meet every Sunday. It's why we do what we do at Grace Presbyterian Church. Life is not meant to be lived as a solitary sport. It isn't. You can't do it well. You know how I know that's true? You can't even move the stuff out of your house into a new house without people helping you. You can't even go eat chicken tomorrow without some other farmer, probably, unless you're one of our unique, very creative people, who's raised that chicken for you and put it at H-E-B. We require community. Listen, if you're struggling spiritually, if you feel distant from God, if you're wondering how to nurture your relationship with God, I promise you, one of the gifts God gives to you, one of the means of grace God has for you is the church. It is meant to be a place where you ask yourself, where am I with you, Jesus? It's meant to be the place where you say, I want to be honest about where I am in my relationship with God. And maybe you're in a really great place. Statistically, as a country, we're all really struggling. It's been a really tough couple years for us. We go from dealing with a conflicted heart and a confident heart and a conflicted heart and a confident heart. Is there one who can, you can center on, who has an unfailing love? The answer is yes. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, this summer we went on, we went on lots of hikes and did little adventures. I'm just going to tell you one of the sweetest things coming off of those hikes or those dirt bike rides or walls or whatever we were doing was this. Knowing that in my Jeep was a white, very thick, full of ice, um, ice chest that had a bunch of water in it because I knew I was thirsty for water. And the moment we got back to the Jeep, we just pounded that water because we needed it. It was so refreshing and so renewing. God's grace is meant to be that for us, a place where we can be refreshed. If you're finding you actually need to be refreshed and encouraged in your faith, yes, do. That's why we read the scriptures. That's why we sing together. That's why we, that's why we make our way through the Psalms. The Psalms are a prayer language for you. You can pray Psalm 13 back to the Lord today if you're in a dark place, a difficult place, and cling to his unfailing love. You can pray Psalm 8 to God if you're like, this dark thing, that's not really my struggle. Okay, fine. Just go to Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your, your glory has been displayed in the heavens. God's inviting you into that relationship. As we celebrate the supper, it's an encouragement to us to be honest with God, to claim his unfailing love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, even this morning as we sit here together and we remember, yes, your words from Psalm 8, but we also remember your words from Psalm 13. And we ask that your spirit would enable us to see you for who you are, that we might worship you, to be able to commune with you, and that you would continue to make Grace Presbyterian Church a place where we can experience the encouragement we're meant to experience as your people. Would you do this work in us by grace and through faith as we put our hope and our trust in you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.